Welcome to the See Me Be Me podcast. I'm Nile Henry. And I'm Blair Henry. And we're two brothers who set out on a mission to make motorsport and STEM careers more diverse, affordable, and inclusive. We are the founders of The Blair Project. This podcast series delves into the minds of inspirational individuals who come from ordinary and often humble backgrounds, but through their belief, dogged determination and never give up attitude, I managed to overcome academic, social or mental challenges to achieve their dream careers. Our guests will share their life lessons that you too can apply to your own. We hope their stories will inspire you to go further, aim higher and accept nothing less than you deserve. Your ambition, your purpose is all within and we're here to help you unlock it. The planet of possibilities are endless. Hello and welcome to the See Me Be Me podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by the founder and CEO of Filamentive, Ravi Tor. Welcome to the podcast, Ravi. Cheers, Nell. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Ravi, can you tell our audience? What is Filamentive and how did you, and when, when did you start it and how did the idea come to be? Yeah, of course. So, uh, Filamentive is a brand of 3D printing materials, uh, essentially the plastic ink, I like to say, for 3D printers. So it's the material that a 3D printer uses uh, to take that material in and create you know, whatever desired object. Uh, Filamentive's specialism is sustainability. So prioritizing recycled material, bioplastics, you know, advocating a circular economy, all those green initiatives we strive for. It was a business I started the groundwork probably eight years ago now. It doesn't seem that long ago, but 2015, I would say. I was still a student at a University of Leeds studying environment and business, bit of a niche degree at the time, sort of combining the environmental science side with a business studies, more traditional degree, uh, some would say. And um, I think it was during that time, because I'd already had some experience of 3D printing, I think learning about the environment, sustainability, the problem of plastic in our environment, it gets you thinking. And of course, this is, it's not just a light bulb moment. Yes, I'm going to start filamentive, I'm going to do this. But over time, you slowly start to realize the environmental challenge in our society. And then I was sort of applying that to 3d printing so okay 3d printing most of the plastics coming sort of imported from the far east not necessarily an issue but there's of course carbon impact associated with that i think at the time as well abs as you'll probably be uh, familiar with uh, when you were printing was more of a toxic plastic uh, at the time to print with you know fumes and maybe not necessarily as as nice to print with as a, a pla so all those thoughts eight years ago were coming to my mind really about okay 3d printing should be more sustainable that's as far as i got at the time and then you know through a course of you know looking into it more speaking to the right people i thought well you know let's uh, give 3d printing materials a go let's see what we can do and then in terms of setting up a business based around um, environmental sustainability robbie did you have anyone who inspired you to set up a business in that area or was that just something that came from within yourself that you wanted to just pursue as a career path good question i think generally speaking just growing up i think with my uh, dad starting his own business uh, you know from when he basically arrived from india as, a, as an 18 year old to be honest 
Um, I, I think he worked for a little bit when he when he came over, but he just started his own uh, 2D printing business, as I like to say. So oh, wow. specializing, you know, really at the start, small scale stuff like leaflets, banners, that kind of thing. So the printing aspect was always within me, like growing up, I suppose, like, you know, whenever your parents or family are involved in that kind of thing, uh, you know, in business, you kind of, you know, you are inspired from a young age. And I think that was definitely myself, you know, still, still uh, tried to apply myself at school. And I think, you know, high school times into sixth form, you know, uh, there's always a joke in from the Asian community, you can only do one of four things, really. So you're doctor, lawyer, uh, engineer or, or business, really. Um, and, and it's well intended from family, but those are the kind of career paths you're kind of uh, recommended to go down. Um, so I did all my science A-levels, biology, chemistry, you know, didn't do so well in the chemistry. Um, and I was thinking, well, I'm not sure what I want to do at university, but I still should do a degree. Like my family, parents are saying I should do a degree. Yeah. You know, it's a bit of a social taboo if I, if I, if I just don't, don't pursue that and, and, and do something else. But um, I always wanted to have the degree, but I think, yeah, I'd always have that element of wanting to start a business from from my dad, I think, and, and from seeing maybe other family friends involved in business. Like it's, you know, especially growing up, it's always that kind of thing. Oh, wow, I want to, you know, do, do, do this. I have my own thing. Uh, but as I was getting older, I was toying with, okay, what, do I want to be a pharmacist? Do I want to be uh, this? You know, I probably won't get the grades for dentistry, but, you know, you kind of uh, evaluate in the kind of uh, traditional career paths as well. So, um it's a bit of an opportunity thing, really, which I maybe we'll get into. But um, yeah, the business side of it has always been, uh, you know, something within me has always wanted to do it, really. Oh. Yeah. So that's very interesting. You said your dad was your, your role model growing up. Yeah. Like if, we, if we take it take it back to your childhood, eight years old, what did yeah. Ravi dream of becoming? What did Ravi dream of becoming? I So for a long time, I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted oh, to be a okay. pilot. Um, okay. Not sure why, maybe it was going on a plane when I was younger, just got fascinated, one of those kind of childhood dreams, really. Uh, even now, sort of, um, you know, certainly not a pilot, but it's kind of into like aviation, that kind of stuff, really um, interested in, in sort of that, that, that arena. But I think I was around 12 and uh, at Leeds Bradford Airport, there's like a flight training school next door. And I think my dad took me and I wasn't, you know, going for a lesson or anything, but we were just kind of inquiring. So I think you can start. Uh, you know, you can sort of do like a pleasure flight or something around that age. But um, I remember the guy saying, oh, well, um, something about being colorblind, which which I am. Um, I do have that sort of very mild uh, red-green colorblindness. Uh, it's not, not, not as dramatic as, you know, people think, but, you know, that it is a bit of a thing. So uh, supposedly, and I've never really looked into it because I, I think that was uh, the moment I was told, like, you know, that that's a bit of a challenge to become a pilot. So I think that was a... That that dream was crushed at the time, age age twelve. Um, so I didn't really, again, like I said, I had an interest in aviation, but didn't really pursue it or really dream about it. But yeah, aside from business, it was uh, be- becoming a pilot. I think was my uh, was my dream as a, as a ch- child, Ravi. Right, and then fast forward onto the entrepreneurial side. You know, we've spoken to a lot of uh, people on the podcast, and even you know myself and Blair are fondest memory of entrepreneur of being an entrepreneur was back in school you know we used to go yeah. to tesco's and you know i think it was netto when they used to exist and buy sweets and cans and be selling them on the schoolyard and yeah. almost getting yeah. caught and suspended by teachers at school 
Um, what's what's your fondest memory of uh, early memory of entrepreneurship? Was it when you started after uni, or was it uh, even earlier? It was earlier, and I I can um, I can resonate with those stories because it, it wasn't me doing that, but a good friend of mine in school was uh, the guy going to Lidl buying the cookies, selling them, you know, locker full of sweets, and then eventually head head of year sort of told him he couldn't do it. Um, which I wasn't sure why at the time, but I guess they have to kind of discourage those things. Uh, mine was a more of a, a random one. So I did have a, a foray into to entrepreneurship. So um, remember we used to burn music onto CDs, basically. Like, you know, you, you can put any sort of music, whatever, 50 cent or anything. Um, I was I was doing that for people, basically, um, mm-hmm. that maybe didn't know how to do it or just, you know, just thought, oh, here's the new 50 cent album or Usher or, you know, whatever whatever people were listening to I think about just selling him for a, for a quid or something uh you know high, highly illegal at the time so yeah <laughs> even was that, now was that, was that during the limewire and bear share days exactly yeah limewire yeah limewire days exactly Niall. um limewire days so you know sort of nefarious ways of getting music really um allegedly <laughs> you know getting that sort of thing so yeah I was just uh, very brief you know i probably made 20 quid from it i don't think i sold more than 20 cds but that's what i was doing maybe in year eight year nine um i do remember that um and i think i tried to be a dj at one point and i, I was just speeding speeding the music <laughs> i was just speeding the music up basically and it just sounded a bit a bit more like um you know like the sort of niche kind of music at the time you know the kind of uh like early house stuff I, I don't know what i was doing at the time but i don't know a couple of people uh must have liked it but yeah, I went. I went down um, the, the the music distribution uh, path in school. <laughs> I, I remember when I got uh, caught. I got caught uh, twice um, selling sweets at school. And the second time, they locked me in the cabin for a whole day. So uh, as a punishment, <laughs> as a punishment, but hey, that's that's the that's what you got to go through to be an entrepreneur. Just had it from a young age. Well, going um, to where you are today, uh, Rabbit. Um, in terms of your work at Filamentu, what do you think gets people excited the most about the work that you do? So I think, so I think there's two things. I think there's the 3D printing aspect, and and, and I think those new to 3D printing or unaware of 3D printing, it it's still, you know, so so amazing to a lot of people what what it can do. Even you know on the on the plastic polymer end, you know, even yeah. you know on on the bigger side, you know, there's the metal 3D printing. The the, the houses are getting 3D printed, but even with our uh, kind of field which i'm sure you'll know you, you know you for a few pence and for for you know just a few hours you you, you go from idea to, to to a real thing um and you know you might need some cad design skills or or download a file online but i think that still amazes people as, as as a tool for manufacturing for prototyping so that that's one element of course most of our customers know 3d printing you know they've, they've been doing 3d printing years or it's within the business so i i i think the what would attract them or or, or make us stand out would be the sustainability side i would say um yeah. maybe just what i mentioned in the introduction so um we're not perfect and and even studying sustainability we were kind of told well you know you'll never get to perfect sustainability it's always improvement and progression really you can always be that one percent better sort of yeah. thing with anything and i think sustainability is one of those and we definitely position ourselves as not perfect, but hopefully doing the right thing. So prioritizing recycled material, even small things like the cardboard spooling on our filaments, it can be easily recycled. It's not 
a plastic reel that's going to go to landfill or just going to sit there in an office. And I, I think people are really resonating with that now, yeah. especially with the growing environmental pressure, consumer pressures. Uh, people, thankfully, and businesses are doing the right thing when it comes to environmental impacts. So I think when they're looking into ways, how can our 3D printing be more sustainable? You know, hopefully Filamentive, you know, does stand out and, and attracts them uh, and, and opens up that conversation about what we can do. And then my next question was going to be, um, so could you tell us more, like, what is the, the let's say, the difference between um, the products that you have at Filamentive and, let's say, other, like, 3D printing materials? How do they compare? So I think on, on the surface, it's the same materials, effectively. Yeah. So, uh, and when I say that, there's only, you know, four or five main polymers that are used in 3D printing. So the main one is PLA, polylactic acid, which maybe you guys will be familiar with. Uh, for the right. audience, uh, sort of new to 3D printing, that is a bioplastic. So it's actually uh, derives from plant-based material, not oil-based, fossil fuel-based materials like an ABS. So instantly, it's already more sustainable. And thankfully, 95% of the market are using that. So we, you know, we sell a PLA and, and other great sellers and, and outlets are selling PLA. Uh, where, where we uh, would differentiate, and, and not the only ones, I, I will add, but one of the few that prioritize this, but... Uh, we try to make sure we're sourcing a recycled version of PLA. So we work with manufacturers, industry partners to make sure the plastic we source is from a more sustainable source. So it might not be 100% recycled, but we get to a point where that has less environmental impact, less energy uh, has gone into that, less carbon has gone into that. Um, and then, of course, we have to spool the material. You know, we have to sell it on a spool for the... 3D printers, and, and that would be a cardboard uh, material spool just to enable easy, easy recycling for the user. Um, and I, I guess uh, one of one of the other things is that you were, were one of the few UK brands out there. There's there's lots of great brands, uh, most of which sort of European, co continent-based or, or Far Eastern. Um, there's you know a growing number, but still a limited number of UK brands. And I still think the uh, the British brand holds true and I think as businesses, they're certainly looking to onshore a lot of things, especially in the, the current climate. So I, I think where possible people are looking to you know, buy British or work with a local manufacturer, it's in their sustainability guidelines. It's something that they, they, they want to do. Um, so, so hopefully we stand out for the sustainability and, and maybe the, the Britishness as well, if, that, if that's a word, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to think we, we stand out for those reasons. So Ravi, you've mentioned PLA, you've mentioned ABS. What are some of the other kinds of, of, uh, of filament that uh, you can use in a 3D printer? And for those who aren't aware or, you know, probably heard 3D printing, but have never seen it being applications where it's been used, there are a lot of crazy uh, industries where 3D printing is even being used and some even in places that you would not expect. Can you take us through that as well? Yeah, of course. As you say, there's there's lots of different applications. Niall, it, it, you know, it amazes you every day. You know, I'm always getting impressed by what someone's doing. You never never think of these things. But yeah, so that there's a, a few main plastics that are used in 3D printing, first and foremost. So we have the PLA, which is used by most people. Very easy to use, you know, relatively low cost. You know, a beginner can use it with just some basic sort of training. Um, but it doesn't necessarily give you the strength or the sort of uh, 
mechanical properties you might need if you want to print something functional, or that's going to be using an end use part. For that, you might use a PETG or PETG, uh, the same material uh, plastic bottles are made from, you know, same as this uh, drinks bottle or the plastic bottles we get, same material. Uh, that is also easy to print, uh, very uh, strong, durable, that kind of thing. Uh, but the other good thing from our point of view and with sustainability in mind is that we can source recycled PET uh, quite, quite uh, you know, not easily, but it's more ubiquitous than, let's say, a PLA source because it's used in a mainstream application. And it's also 100% recyclable. Of course, you need to always check with curbside or council recycling, but PETG is 100% recyclable material. We then have more sort of engineering-grade materials, you know, as they would be categorized. So there's carbon fiber PETG, so the same material with a loading of about 15% carbon fiber powder. I think, you know, maybe some of us into cars or whatever might have heard of carbon fiber, this kind of thing. So very lightweight, very strong material used all over industries to, to give them enhanced properties. Uh, and, and one thing I like about, which is a shame I don't have a, sort of a print here to show, to show our viewers, but, you know, it has a really nice uh, finish in terms of like a satin, almost semi-gloss, you can't see the layer line, so those that are familiar with 3D printing, uh, one sort of, uh, not drawback, but one sort of uh, consequence of 3D printing is that you see the lines yeah. in, in every layer of the print. With carbon fiber PETG, you, you really don't see that just because of the blend of the material. Uh, and as I said, it's you know, very strong. You know, People are using it to make sort of Caribbean Eclipse, uh, other products that are going to be used, maybe bike accessories, uh, a mount for your phone, Th these kind of things that might take some impact and it needs that sort of compressive strength. Um, and then another one which is increasingly popular, I, I mentioned ABS earlier. Uh, we also have ASA, which is another styrene-based material, hence the S, uh, but very strong, uh, very good sort of um, lightweightness to it, so you know, it's not very dense. But it's UV-resistant, and that UV-resistant means you can take it outdoors, it can be exposed to sunlight. So we've seen people produce outdoor furniture, um, you know, sort of birdhouses, anything that's going to be outdoors where yeah. something like a PLA is going to degrade, they're using ASA. It does need higher temperatures, a bit more experience printing with it. But it's that real benefit of seeing 3D printing used for something real. Yeah. You know, it's not just a prototype. It's not just something on an engineer's desk. It's a real product that's been printed. That's a, that's a new one. I've never I've never heard of the ASA one before. So yeah. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to... Um have a little bit of a, a read up on that after this really so uh it's been a, it's been a while since i've done a 3d printing but i won't mind uh, getting back into it eventually in the future so that's so, it no it's it's always uh, good to get back into and probably applicable for, for some of the stuff you guys are involved with actually with some of the automotive kind of thing um going i think uh, those are the materials that you mentioned now but also some of the cool applications uh you know there's all sorts weird and wonderful I would say one of my favorite, and I, I never hesitate to say my favorite, and I'm, I'm not, you know, sort of uh, giving spotlight to anyone for that reason, but you might have heard of Open Bionics. Uh, and for those that have, haven't heard of Open Bionics, they're a really cool, uh, I was going to say startup, but probably, you know, established medical device business now based in Bristol. And because of 3D printing, they are able to produce 3D printed prosthetic limbs for mostly children. Uh, born as amputees or with limb differences, limb problems. 
And without 3D printing, that would be prohibitively expensive. You know, somebody would need to pay 30, 40, 50,000, however much it is. But now with the NHS partnership, it's low cost enough for the NHS to be able to afford that. And it's something really cool that um, a child or anyone with a bionic arm can have customized. So I think they've had com uh, collaborations with Marvel and other sort of um, oh. brands where, you know, a child can really be proud of something like that and it, and it, it doesn't stand out as, as what it is. It's al almost becomes part of them. And, you know, I think, I think their uh, mantra or, or slogan used to be, you know, turning disabilities into superpowers. And I just thought that was, you know, so powerful and, and just like a lovely thing to see, you know, we can t talk about 3D printing, sustainability and cost savings and all these industry terms, but it, for open bionics and, and people using it in the medical field, it's, it's changing lives. It's improving no, I was just going to say absolutely, yeah, yeah. and it's even being used to print um, new new limbs as well. Um, or they're definitely uh, trialing it at the moment. I've I've seen reports of that they are. It's um, the the bio printing and the medical printing is exactly that. It's really advancing now. So you know we're starting to see it have such an impact in in, in the fields in Easter. Now, Robbie, what, what I wanted to go on to next is um, you mentioned in your bio the importance of giving back. So you mentioned you do like lectures in front of like young entrepreneurs and also like um, university students who are similar to yourself, like when you were first getting your business started. So what, what how much interest is there from like, let's say, the entrepreneurs and the university students that you spoke to in the past and delivered lectures to, like in terms of inspiring them to go into environmental sustainability? I, th I think there's huge interest, Blair. I think, you know, uh, I think the, the students coming through now, I mean, it was 10 years ago since I started my degree. I think, you know, the, the next generation, you know, I don't always like saying that, but I guess, you know, the the the, the, the you know, ne next set of students coming through, I think they're very uh, in tune with what's going on because they've grown up uh, with these sort of environmental pressures and and with that sort of increased activism and things we see in the media, I think yeah. the spotlight has been on sustainability whilst, you know, some of these pupils have been in school and they've seen things at an earlier time. Whereas, you know, I was 18, 19 when I started realizing sort of our environmental challenges. I, th I think children now and anyone coming through now are seeing that firsthand. And I yeah. think um, the, um, as I said, the, the sort of communication on that has improved in mainstream media. Um, in terms of entrepreneurship, I think there's a huge appetite. So I, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I go back to Leeds Uni quite often. In fact, today, on the day we're recording this, I've I've got something there as well. So I, I'm always happy to go back. It it's a, it's a privilege, as I always say, because they help me, uh, you know, do what I'm doing now. I won't say get to where I am because I think you know there's always more to achieve, and uh, I'm not on any high horse that I'm. I'm giving back because I'm here and you know I need to help someone there but I, I I think it's always valuable to hear from someone that's maybe five years on 10 years on from your journey and not necessarily boast and say I've done this I employ this many people this is my turnover we supply these companies um it's probably nice to say and there's like you know elements of inspiring people but I I, I talk about the challenge I talk about the fact you know there's times where things aren't going to plan there's times where you're going to doubt you are the person you know, the whole imposter syndrome, that, that's a huge thing and whole other area. So, uh, and I also tell them, look, most of you sitting here probably won't be doing this business because, you know, I've had other businesses and my peers have had other businesses. 
you might think they fail and most businesses do fail, but there's always a learning opportunity in there. There's always a point where you say, well, that didn't work out. Let me reflect. I'll take it onto that next venture, that next opportunity. I, I had, I was fortunate and, and it's a shame the university don't offer it now, but I had the opportunity to do a, a year in enterprise. So uh, you know how you can do a year in industry or a year abroad, at yeah. most universities, that kind of thing. I didn't know when I applied. So like, you know, pure serendipity, as I like to say, Leeds Uni had a year in enterprise. So between years two and three, uh, they basically um, give you some living allowance and some sort of funding and support to have a year between uni to work on your business. Uh, only five students, four or five students at the time. They did discontinue that, but they still offer a lot of other support like grants they get from alumni funding. But I had a full year to almost fail, like basically like fail, learn. You know, I wasn't making money in that year. I wasn't, you know, progressing massively in the business i was finding my feet you speaking to suppliers you realize things don't go how you want we all have that you know we plan things out we write a business plan you know you always <laughs> the, the the turnover is always 10 times projected you know where it, where it probably is just because you know we're aspirational you know we have that positive mindset but things don't often work out so i came back year three of my degree then graduated thinking well kind of need to give this a better go like so you know something needs to be changed here and 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 I did so it was almost two years getting it off the ground until I graduated and, and I communicate this to students or people wanting to start a business because I say look I, I hope it goes perfectly swimmingly but it's probably not going to be like that you're going to have you're going to be down you're going to doubt yourself it you know th th things do take an impact on on your mental health when when you're going through business you know it's not all the the singing and dancing it's not all podcasts and speeches and and, you know, saying I work with this client and we've got this funding. Um, there's a lot to it. And, and and I know there's a lot of that out there. They don't need to hear that from me. You know, there's, there's a lot of podcasts and books out there. People talk about failure. But I think there's a huge appetite for business now. And I, I think um, there's no better time to do it, especially in our age with social media, uh, digitalization, globalization. We, we It's the perfect environment, isn't it? To at least have a go is what I like to say. Absolutely. No, I love that you you jumped on that topic about challenges and you know uh that's what I kind of want to ask you Ravi in terms of you know people listening to this podcast you know sometimes in entrepreneurship people only share the positive moments but then they don't they don't see the challenges or the rough times that you know somebody's had to go through to get to the point where they've become a success or even at the point where they are a success and you know things are dipping Sometimes you won't show that side, and you think, "Oh wow, what happened? Everything was everything was great." Um, but in terms of yourself, you know, what has been the, in your in your entrepreneurial journey? What's the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome, and how did you how did you do it? The biggest challenge, uh, very good question. I, th I think there's always there's always several, as you say, Niall, and it's never you know it's never portrayed by other businesses, is it? But there's, there's always things going on uh, in the background. I think. I think the initial challenge with us, especially when I was giving it a go, is you know just finding customers. I'll, I've I've got this brand. I think I've got a great product. You know, you, you know you're very sort of biased and naive, I guess, when you're starting a business. And I, I certainly was thinking I've got this product. Yeah, I'm gonna sell it for this price. Everyone's gonna love it. It's recycled, whatever. Uh, you know, I, I'm I believe in it. But it's how do you then go out and sell it? You know, how do you do it? You can't just have a you can have the best website. You can start posting the best graphics on social media, but if there's no audience there, who's going to be interested? Who's going to see it? So I kind of, you know, I didn't really have any marketing experience and, 
you know, the understanding of marketing at that time is just posting on social media, isn't it? Like, you know, you suddenly learn through business and, you know, just growing up and reading things, learning things that uh, marketing is that whole process of getting your product to market. It's not just how you promote it. So um, I think w- one thing I did, very specific to Filamentive, granted, um, but it's it's looking for the, for the low-hanging fruit. Like, who who is going to use this product? Okay, yeah. anyone with a 3D printer. Okay, well, I have to be more specific than that. You really need to think about your personas, your target markets, your segments. And I thought, well, I think businesses are going to be quite interested in this because it ticks the sustainability box that people want. Um, we're not the cheapest product, so we might not get that uh, boy or girl at home with a 3D printer that you know wants to doesn't have a lot to spend and is maybe buying a different brand. We're not maybe in that price bracket. So let me see who I can find who's using products. So at the time, uh, still is the, the the online platform 3D Hubs. You probably remember now now called Hubs. Actually, they rebranded after being acquired. So once upon a time, it's not like this now, um, unfortunately, but they used to list all their partners. So they used to list all the 3D printing businesses that did uh, contract jobs for them, basically. Um, Almost like the restaurants on Just Eat or Uber Eats or something. Uh, So it's like, well, I've got some takeaway products to sell. Let me just ring, you know, ABC, takeaway, whatever. So there's a list of 50 businesses there, you know. Blair 3D printing, Manchester 3D printing, whatever, you know, most of them, most of the others as well. And I think that's why you can resonate with them is there were other small businesses or like solopreneurs, sort of one man bands, as they say. So um, I, I just either picked up the phone, sent them an email. I just focused on those 40, 50 customers. Don't get me wrong. Other people maybe found the website through other means. Um, but I thought I, I don't have masses of money to spend on paid advertising. You know, I, I don't know really what I'm doing either, even if I did have loads of money to spend on this advertising. But I know these people use 3D printing material. So let me just like go for it. And and I, I think you have a bit of, you know, that adrenaline in you and you, you maybe have that, uh, um, it's naivety as well, really. You just kind of, you don't fear anything. You're just calling people and, you know, you maybe go over the top on the self, maybe straight away looking back, but just making those connections and just getting off the ground with those customers Look, all of them didn't buy. I'm not going to portray a picture. Yeah, there were 50 businesses. All 50 of them bought. It was millions of pounds. Uh, nowhere near, but, you know, 10 of them, 20 of them, uh, you know, built rapport. They wanted samples. So I, I learned about the sort of sales cycle. Okay, you can't sell straight away, but I need to understand what materials do they use? Who are they using currently? How do we better what they have currently? I don't want to put someone else down. I don't say don't use XYZ brand but we can do this for you. We can do that for you. So you're almost, you're you're learning on the job sales and and the marketing really. And those first few customers got us off the ground. You know, I think in the first year it was maybe tens of thousands of of turnover, nothing massive, but just enough to uh, keep us turning over, you know, buy more stock, invest in new materials, get the website going. And and you're just going through that process really. Um, So yeah, to anyone with a business, especially like a product-based business, um, I just, you know, really narrow it down. Don't don't think that this is for everyone. Who can you mm. sell to? Is it your friends and family? Okay, that can be awkward, a bit difficult. Is it yeah. fellow students? Like, if you're starting a business, just think small straight away because you don't need to be doing six figures, seven figures straight away. You want yeah. to, hope, you know, I hope you do. You know, we all, we all want you to do well, but really niche it down, really focus on that key segment if you can identify that and just go for mm. those people. Because even if they don't buy, 
you learn a lot. You learn a lot about the market, and you learn a lot about your own product. They might try it and say, "Look, Ravi, that was rubbish," or "That isn't as good as that." So then you go back to the drawing board. It's a harsh truth. It's an uncomfortable truth, but you know, I think if we don't face these things, we we don't grow. So yeah, that that's always my advice. You know, maybe generic advice, whatever, niche it down, keep it small. But you know, the, I read a book. I forgot which one it was now, but it said your target market. Um, should be an inch wide, but a mile deep, and 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 mm. you know that that kind of changed how I thought about things. Like you know, mm. don't be for everyone. You're not going to be for everyone. Filamentive isn't for everyone. You have to really focus on who's going to be interested. No, I completely agree with that. And you know, the most powerful marketing, I believe, is word of mouth. If you can focus on that small demographic and create a great service or a great product, they'll be your biggest. Uh, yep. marketing tool because they'll they'll spread the word and then you'll yes. find more and more people using your products whereas you know um you could use the traditional method of social media but you know you might get out to a wide range of people but people might not use that service so um having a core niche is is always uh i would say vital but Ravi, what in terms of your journey then what what was the major turning point in filamentive so you start, said that you know you did you started at 21 didn't yep. have a huge customer base you mess, started messaging um these companies on hubs you know and you first started to get a bit of business yep. but what 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 was the major turning point for you yeah so we were we were getting traction in the first couple of years um you know so i think things were going well uh, you know relatively you know you kind of think you know i'm getting a good good feeling about this i think the turning point was was 2018 um and i'd, I'd, I'd say for a couple of reasons so i think first and foremost um i mean i'll be honest up until then i was basically doing everything in the business from marketing sourcing the product i was packing the orders uh, i was doing everything uh, i had a bit of help from my dad and and sort of he had a business and i think we were like sort of sharing one of the employees to have a hand and it wasn't masses of orders at the time, 10, 20 a day. Um, I was doing everything. But it got to the point where I could afford to bring someone in to help me uh, with some of the things that they would free me to then work on business development, marketing. So uh, it, it got my first employee after after two years, uh, employed my first person. Uh, they specialized in you know packing the orders, the warehousing, a bit of customer service, um, these really important tasks that need to be done, you know, it was me doing it before, but that freed me up for two, three, four hours a day to, to, to work. Um, you know, there's a saying work, work on the business, not in the business, yeah. um, which I know, I know it's like, you know, very grand and easy to say it when it's just you. But if you get to a point where your expenses are covered and, and you know, you can afford uh, someone and I'll be honest, that was part time that that was, um, I think it was just over a thousand pounds a month for the person that was working for how, however many hours at the time. So even starting small, I would say as well, don't think you need to employ someone on 50k like straight away. Like you can start small, you can yeah. outsource things, get get someone part time, a student. And um, there's the, there's a lot of flexibility, I would say. And I, and I think the second thing, and um, you, you'll recognise the, the the company and the people, but it was uh, starting our partnership with 3D GBIRE. Uh, who, uh, for the viewers and listeners that are not aware, they are uh, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, 3D printing distributor and specialist. So they retail and distribute the main 3D printers in the UK. So Ultimaker, one of the main brands, you know, Race 3D, they've got their foot 
in the Doran industry. You know, great team over there. So, so many of them, um, and I know, I know, um, you know, the Blair Project have worked closely with them as well. Um, and I, I think getting that partnership, sort of, uh, you know, you get that credibility. I'll be honest. Like if you're part, if you're stocked by a competitor three D GBRE, it's there's some gravitas to that and, and some weight behind you. Uh, but I think secondly, they opened up the door uh, to to sort of increase sales through distribution and also to their own customers. So, you know, 3D GBRE and, and Ultimaker GB, they've got printers at Airbus, Rolls-Royce, you know, all, all the big boys in manufacturing, engineering, you know, not all customers necessarily, but it's very difficult to reach the right person or reach, you know, the buyer within these organizations, which is a whole other area, isn't it? Which I, I know you'll both be familiar with in terms of procurement and all those headaches. But I think, if you want scale in terms of revenue, and I know it's just, you know, one of those corporate on, you know, sort of entrepreneur words, but you know, if, if, if you can't do everything direct selling, there's nothing wrong with partnerships and there's nothing wrong with exploring what another business could do, especially if you have a product business, the finding resellers, distributors. Um, I think that was key. And we, we started that in 2018 as well. So I think there was two things there. There was um, freeing my time as the business owner to work on marketing sales and employing my my first employee, um, but then also scaling the business revenue wise through that partnership, yeah. which had a really big impact. And then it's just leverage, isn't it? You know, the, the more revenue, you know, you, your profit margins have to be have to be right. But you, you're then investing in that in, in further growth, really. Which is it's always a process. Sounds it's easier said than done. But I think those are the two turning points. I would say where we had a we had a step change in our sort of uh, impact and scale. I wanted to ask Ravi, did you encounter any, let's say, fears or like barriers in setting up a, a business? Well, as a student, or because some of the, let's say, some of the guests we've had in the past, they were just they all they said like in the back of their mind, was there like this bit of fear, or uh, some of them have said that, oh well, I know I just have to go for it. Do you have any like fears in the back of your mind, or do you just think, you know what, I've got this passion, I just need to go for it, like an imposter imposter syndrome, for example? Yeah. The- I, I, yeah, I, I would, I would say, yeah, I think um, imposter syndrome is real. I think, I think there's always elements, you know, even now certain things you might do and it's, you know, you, you might not, you don't have full faith in yourself, but you might you yeah. know, have, have that fear, doubt, you know, that kind of mild anxiety about certain things. But I think as a student, okay, I kind of had the opportunity to start working on it whilst I was a student. I didn't have to wait yeah. until graduation. So I'm very grateful and, you know, always shout out, you know, Leeds university for giving me that opportunity. Um, but I did, I think, as I was approaching graduation and not necessarily taking a huge salary and yeah. then seeing some of my peers get, you know, some really good grad jobs. And I think at that point in life, and maybe just generally, that that's how our society talks. But, you know, people are always quick to talk about, I've been offered yeah. this much and got this much. I'm thinking, hang on, I know I've got a business, but, you know, why am I not on, you know, 30, 40,000 pounds, you know? And you just yeah. kind of doubt yourself thinking, well, this is, a, well, you know, am I doing the right thing? Like business sounds good, whatever, but, you know, I'm, I'm not earning that. Like, you know, should I be earning that? And then you, you doubt yourself, like, you, you know, you start questioning what you're doing it for. And of course we all, uh, we all need money and, and more money's great for whatever we want to do with it. Um, but I think there is more of a purpose when you're trying to run a business, I would say. And I think, um, you know, you kind of quickly overcome that when, you know, you kind of hitting certain milestones in the business, but, I think again uh, another there's another famous entrepreneurship quote, but it's like I'd rather I'd rather work eighty hours for myself 
than, than 40 hours for someone else. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I don't want that to come across horribly. You know, people listen to this, you, you know, probably have really good jobs. They're not entrepreneurs. There's no dig there, but I think there's, I think the 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 meaning behind it is that there's more to it than just the monetary value, isn't there? There's yeah. there's something about doing your own thing. And then from where you are now, uh, Ravi, what are your aspirations for the future of Filamentive? Yeah, aspirations. Yeah, I, th I think just re replicating what we've already done and yeah. just growing it. You know, okay, size of the business, yes. You know, financially that kind of thing. Uh, having more impact as well, I think, in certain environmental initiatives. So there's a huge, there's a huge issue of plastic waste in 3D printing. So once some, it's fine, people are using recycled materials, whatever. But yeah. after a print has been made, or it has no use anymore, that's just plastic waste. Okay, it doesn't compare to some of the mainstream applications. You know, we have a really big plastic problem in our society. But I think there's something to be done with the circular economy. How do we take this waste material back you know we, we're always asked about this you know every day we get questions can you take it back Ravi can, can, can I send my waste back so it's easier said than done there's a lot of logistical technical challenges but you know I think the short answer is really have more uh, impact on 3D printing and, and stay true to our sort of vision and to reduce the environmental impact we want someone to use filamentive or, or use our services use our products and know that they're reducing the environmental impact of what they do and then they're improving sustainability. So if we can help a person or a business do that, I think we're in a really good place. So I definitely uh, want to do more of that as we go forward. Excellent. And, and do you think more is being do done in society around recycling? And, you know, is there a way that we can use 3D printing to, well, we can recycle you know, wasting, you know, tips and turn it into filament that can, can be used within 3D printing? I would say more is being done. I think there is more focus and, and sort of funding in the right areas and, you know, Innovate UK and, and sort of other sort of, you know, green tech sort of funding and, and startups are coming through. So I think the right action is being taken. I think there needs to be more collaboration. So as you were saying there now, so sort of the, the, the government, the councils, the waste management authorities in, in our country, maybe there, there needs to be a quite clear uh, collaboration with, you know, recycling companies, the additive manufacturing sector. How, how does that all add up? And I, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not, you know, going to pretend that I have the answer, but I think governmental business and, and even uh, sort of charity or, or waste organisations uh, need to work together to say, well, this is our challenge can that be a solution for 3D printing? Because, you know, okay, there's separation, all these kind of technical aspects to waste management, but, you know, if we can harness some of that plastic and, and use it for 3D printing, then, you know, the world is going to be a better place. So, you know, it's going to be a cleaner place at least. Yeah, de definitely. If we were going to hit our uh, net zero objectives, we do That's need it. to start doing things, I would say now. Uh, we have to. But, oh, but thinking, actually, from a point of view to a young person who's listening to this or maybe an adult, you know, and they're thinking, oh, do you know what? I, I love what I've heard and I'm quite interested now in 3D printing. And they wanted to join uh, that industry, uh, additive manufacturing. What, what, what piece of advice would you give to a young person? Actually, you know what? Not just in 3D printing, but in entrepreneurial entrepreneur, entrepreneurism in general. What piece of advice would you give to that individual about either setting up a business or getting involved in 
um, additive manufacturing? No, very good question. I think maybe look at your own network, friends, family, whatever situation you're in. Is there someone, you know, do you have an uncle that set up a business, you know, an auntie that might work in a university somewhere and, and might have expertise with that? Think, maybe think about who you know, who you could speak to to ask a few questions. Because if they're within that field or something related, if they don't know the answer, they're going to be more than happy to help. Um, if you are within a school or university environment, then absolutely anyone that's working in the sort of careers department uh, will be able to help. But ultimately, okay, you know, you should never take crazy risk, always be calculated, but just give it a go. Um, always depends on your circumstances. You know, I think when, you, when you're young, you're a student, okay, you have less responsibility, that there's less to lose, right? If you fail, so what? There might be a bit of money lost, but you're not really impacting anyone around you. But yeah, do, do what you can, but also ed educate as well. Self-education is so important. Um, it's podcast like this, listening to people, getting insights, reading. You know, I I hadn't picked up a book since university. It's only over the pandemic where I just thought, you know, you know, th these books, look, I need to get into it more, read business books, psychology books. It almost doesn't matter, but there's always tools out there to, to really get an insight. And, and not everything's going to give you every answer. But just really immerse yourself and think I've done all I can to learn more about it or give it a go and and, and just enjoy it as well. You know, it should never, there is going to be times where it's not going well, but but just, you know, if that's something you really want to do, try it. You never know where it might lead. Uh, just just before we go into three bonus questions, Ravi, I just wanted to ask one more uh, question to you. Sure. Um, what would you say is the proudest moment of your career thus far? Proudest moment of my career, big question. Yeah, I think, I think, I think what it was, and again, it's one of those accolade things, whatever, you know, it's, you know, it, it was something we didn't even win. But in 2018, we got shortlisted for being material company of the year wow. by 3D printing industry. And I thought, you know, I, I was taken aback because the, it's not just nominations from yourself, it's from some people in the industry. We didn't win the award. That That's just kind of a bonus. That didn't really matter to me at the time. But we were in this category with like, you know, BASF and multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies in a category that, okay, I knew we wouldn't win that. But it's like, we've been recognized here and it, and it was proud because it was, you know, it's nothing to do with, with money or the size of your business. It's like, we must do something or there's enough people out there that have recognized what we do. And I just thought, wow, that, that means a lot. And that, you know, it kind of takes you through those those lower moments where you're not sure if you're doing the right thing or the direction of the business. But I think when when others, your peers and, and the market have had given that reaction, that that's one of the proudest moments. And, you know, we've been fortunate to be shortlisted since for these kind of awards. But I think it was that one, that specific one that really I, I was particularly proud of. Um, but, you know, there's loads, there's loads of things, uh, Blair. That, that's one thing. But I think just supporting people with their 3D printing and, you know, hearing stories at Open Bionics and, what people do, people, you know, setting up businesses using your material. Okay, they could maybe buy it elsewhere, but you know, you're supporting others and, and helping others in, in doing that. And I, I think that's what it comes down to. That's where I get my uh, fulfillment or satisfaction and, and that feeling of being proud, really, I would say. Right. Just in time. We're all we're now on the bonus questions of the podcast. Um and as you know, Ravi, you've seen these bonus questions before. So you know, the first question um, that I'm going to ask you, and like I said, um, I am judging you. Um, so please 
I hope you give me the right answer. Uh, <laughs> so, does pineapple belong on a pizza? Yes or no? Yes. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not I was very quick to to say yes, but <laughs> I don't. I don't mind a Hawaiian. No, I've got to be honest. It's not my favorite oh, pizza. No. No. Got to end it there. Oh, oh, we got. We have honestly got to end it there. Like you're, the, you're. I think you're the fifth guest now that has said that pineapple belongs on a pizza. And every time I just get more. Have you tried it? Have you tried it? I have tried it, and then I tried it once, and I'll never try it again. Never I again, will take. Again. So, so if it, if somebody orders, let's say it's like a, a social function or you know business event, a business event or party, whatever. Somebody actually does order a Hawaiian because you know everyone ate, ate the pepperoni or or whatever. <laughs> I will take a Hawaiian pizza. I will take the yep. pineapple off the pizza. Off. It'll be a ham and you know it'll be it's a margarita pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a ham and cheese pizza, and I'll eat the ham and cheese and then I'll eat the pineapple afterwards. But combined, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're still having it, but just separate. You you're making just... the pineapple dessert, really. <laughs> Yeah, because you know the, the saltiness of the tomato with the sweet of the pineapple is the, no. It's a bit complimentary, no. though, I would say, but it's it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's an interesting one. It's a very polarizing yeah. question, which is, uh, I guess, why you're asking it. But... It is. It just confirms. I that, gave the know, wrong we've answer. Some, we've we've got some bizarre individuals on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> on, on this podcast. On this podcast. No, I'm only playing. Uh, the second one is we're gonna. Uh, it's an interesting one for for your for your world in three D printing. I suppose what's the weirdest thing that you've seen personally three D printed? The weirdest thing. So I'm gonna have to say, like, obviously, probably keep it relatively PG, but I, I have seen. Uh, <laughs> I, I have seen sort of um, sort of so some adult products that are 3D printed and like, sold on Etsy and stuff. And, and and I know it's always I don't know if it's uh, yeah because because my a lot of my mates used to joke about this you know saying certain things and then I've actually seen it and by all accounts it was you know hot selling products you know um, you know it's not it's not not something you know at filament we don't do any printing of products but I've seen some uh, adult things I'd, I'd yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I was allowed to say that. I have to give another answer, but <laughs> no, no, no. That that was the perfect answer. To yeah, that it was just impulsive. It's just very weird, it's... bizarre, and people are doing it and making money. So, They're ladies making and money. That, that is a way to make money in three D. This is the thing. That's the thing with three D printing. You can look around and think, "Can this be three D printed?" And you can do it yourself, whatever it might be, and just give it a go. You know, stick it online, whatever. Oh, wow. Well, interesting. <laughs> and then I suppose the, the last question, Ravi, is, you know, if you could have any... Actually, do you know what? I'm going to change this one. Uh, if you could throw a, a dinner party um, tonight and you could invite yep. three guests, uh, de dead or alive, who would you invite and why? Three guests. Good question. Good question. I think I've been asked this before and I forgot who I said, but... Um... The first one, I would say, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, big Man U fan. I think I think that's a bit of an obvious one. Yeah, I think something we agree on, uh, Niall. 
Um, so not just because of the Man U aspect, but I think him as a leader, as a person, just you know, really fascinated me. I've, I've read the books, heard, heard heard all the stories from former players, and I think I'd you know really enjoy his his company really. So he'd be my first one. I'm going to stick with the Man U and football theme, but I'm going to say Gary Neville, which you know some may think that's not uh, you know bit 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 of an unobvious answer, but um, it's been really you know really fascinating person i think for, for myself so the, the football thing aside i think he's just got involved in in so many things that i'm really impressed by you know and i'm not not even sure how he manages it you know media career punditry politics university real estate business and i'd really like to you know pick his brains on a few of those things you know how you know how, how we you know manage to find time first of all but also how he runs all these kind of things but seems like a really nice bloke really someone you can you know have, have, a, have a beer with and just just uh enjoy his company and, and find out a lot really so yeah heavily man you focus for the the first two third one i would say probably my inspiration in sort of business sort of growing up uh is steve jobs so huge i'm a huge apple fanboy really into apple you know really and I really admire the products as, as millions, millions of us do. Uh, but I'd really like to find out more about, you know, him as a person and, you know, as a leader, how you, you know, grow into multi-billion dollar business, how, how you can manage people, inspire people and, and really be at the cutting edge of innovation, especially in our space being sort of tech based. That would be, you know, a huge privilege to, to spend time with him. So, yeah, those those would be my three. It's all top, a top dinner party. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Just, I just hope that Sir Alex would, Sir Alex wouldn't give you the hair dryer treatment, or anybody, <laughs> or anybody else at that table. <laughs> that would just ruin it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. Gary, Gary can receive it. Gary can receive it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. He's probably used to yeah, it, so yeah. he can have it. Everybody else is spared. So, Ravi, I just want to say thank you for being a guest on the See Me Be Me podcast, and you know if the listeners here want to find out more about you or follow you on your journey. Now is your chance to plug whatever socials, website, the floor's yours. For sure. No, th- th- thank you. Now it's been a pleasure. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively active on, on LinkedIn. Always like to connect with people, not just in 3d printing, but you know, if, if you're on there, want to connect uh, my name's Ravi uh, Tor, surname T double uh, You'll find me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Filamentive uh, socials is just at Filamentive. So F-I-L-A-M-E-N-T-I-V-E on you know Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. If you if you're interested in sustainable 3D printing, want to find out more, just just give us a follow uh, on, on look at our socials. Uh, and if anything else, you know, feel free to, to message me on anything if, if you want to find out more and see if we can help you. I'm always here to help. Yeah, and if if you are listening and you have got a 3D printer, do give Ravi's uh, filament a try. It's really good stuff. Um, and you know, I'll have to start getting back into 3D printing again. It's been, a, it's been I a think you should. While. I think you should. Yeah, yeah. Get that. Get you got. You got that. You you've given me that bug again. So uh, that's it. That's yeah. it. Well, you know where to go for materially. <laughs> hey, I know where to go now. I know where we, to go. We can, we can sort you out with that. No problem. <laughs> oh, Rami, again, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we will be keeping up to tabs on your journey. And you know, maybe. In the future, we'll get you back on an episode to see uh, updates on, uh, on 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 where you've gone since then. Brilliant! Thanks, guys. Been yeah. a pleasure. Thanks for having and me. Nice one, Robin. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Blah. No.
Rami Tor. What an amazing guest. One of um, one of the longest ones and one of the best ones we've done, I reckon. Yeah, and so what did you think about Ravi and his, and his journey and the filamentum and some of the topics he talked spoke about today? No, it's really interesting. I mean, you speaking that his entrepreneurial journey essentially started from his dad, who's got had his own two uh, D printing company, mm-hmm. and it's almost that inspiration from a family member. And how one of the things he mentioned is that with like a lot of entrepreneurs, it's almost something that's picked up from watching your family, like similar to how we were watching um, our mum Marilyn and their journey uh, as an entrepreneur and that essentially inspired us into our journey within the Blair Project. So it's just um, interesting to see how our um, our experiences align with this experience as well. And one of the other things that he mentioned is um, going in there and like, you can, there's always things that you can pick up by like either like reading a book or just learning like different like insights from like other entrepreneurs as well to pick up on your journey because there's always things that you pick up. And as I said, there's... Not everything will be perfect, but it's also about like learning and learning and learning and picking up new different um, bits of material in terms of shaping up your own business. Mm. I just found that, um, yeah, really inspiring from uh, Ravi and whatnot. What about yourself now? Yeah, no, I thought, yeah, like I said, really great, really great podcast. And, you know, it's a similar, similar story to what we have um, in terms of, you know, you know, you, you have your first a uh, bit of entrepreneurship is from an early age so yeah and and it's how it's important to have role models yeah. i think you know as you highlighted you know what we had marilyn when we were growing up as our role model yeah. um ravi had his father but then it's it's also saying you know even if you don't have someone at home who is you know whose parent is an entrepreneur and, and runs their own business you can get inspiration from others yeah. so whether it's you know through reading books you know listening to podcasts you know, uh, whether it's, you know, going to university and, you know, you're learning, you're learning about something and then joining, you know, looking up competitions. Like I think he probably talked about the enterprise, the year of enterprise, where you can go and, you know, from one year, do an internship, running your own company. I think the really, really um, great thing or beautiful thing that Ravi said is that, you know what, don't be afraid of failure, you know, that that year, you know, it was an opportunity for him to fail and just learn. And so by the time he finished his degree, he was like, you know what? It didn't work out how I imagined in that one year, but why not give it a good crack? And in his words, I'm going to take it more serious. And that's what he did. And so, now it's, and now Filamentum's grown and what he's here, you know, he's been in business for eight years now. It's just that importance of just uh, putting yourself out there. I mean, one of the things that Ravi um, was talking to us about as well is that he does um, these sort of talks to young entrepreneurs, mm. young up-and-coming entrepreneurs, but also university students who are from uh, who are looking to get into environmental sustainability as well. And it's just encouraging these uh, individuals to pursue careers in this avenue, maybe even set up their own businesses in this area as well. And just showing their interest within this uh, sort of market and the opportunities that are opportunities that are out there and just what it takes really to say like run your own business the hard work that it takes and essentially speak to people on this journey and like his journey with filmmentive yeah 
and you know he, he's following his passion which is which is which is a very important thing uh, he did his degree in environment sustainability and now he's doing a he's running a business that involves you know it's eco-friendly it's all about you know making a positive impact in the world and recycling and you know recycling old waste which can be transformed into something else that we can be more you know it's pr productivity so you know using old things to make new things um you know that's the power in, in 3d printing and you know ravi went into great detail where 3d printing is being used um there are some applications that we you know that are 3d printing is being used that you wouldn't think of so like food not not making plastic in food but they're you know we're able to make you know chocolates and cakes and you know even pizza um you know you can 3d print concrete as well uh, and make homes uh so really fascinating things that are being done and you know um and you know what i really loved about ravi is that he's you know when he first started filamented you know he realized right okay i've settled the business I need to go out and find customers. And, you know, he went and did his market research, discovered hubs, or it was 3D hubs at the time, found there was 50 companies on that website and decided, right, I'm going to contact each one. And, you know, how do I get in there? I'll send them some samples. They obviously tried his product. Some of them liked it. And, you know, you get your first customer that way. I'm not saying that that is every way you can get your first customer, but it definitely helps. And the fact that, you know, for him, he agrees that word of mouth is the strongest marketing tool, um, which I'm a big advocate for. And he's had to learn to be an entrepreneur. You know, he's not an expert in everything, but he's had to learn sales. You learn the marketing. Um, you learn so many different things, finance. Um, you put yourself out there and, you know, you might be working in your own business on your own for two, three years. And then you get to a stage where, you know, you can afford not to work in the business and just on it. And then you can take on people. Um, and I thought that was very wise to take on the first person part-time and then build your team around yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Really, really, um, as I say, really inspiring. We've we've known him for quite a few years now. Uh, as he was saying, we were introduced to Ravi by our uh, partners of our 3D GBIRE. And uh, since then, we've just kept in contact and um, interested to see where Ravi goes in the future with uh, Filamentu and hopefully get him back on the episode for the future, maybe in a year or two years' time. Definitely, definitely. Now, that's all we've got time for today, folks. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, comment and subscribe. We are available on pretty much all social media platforms. We're on Facebook. LinkedIn and YouTube at The Blair Project. And we're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Get Me Motoring. So, yeah, make sure to follow us on there. And that's all we've got time for today. So, stay tuned for another exciting episode. Take care. Peace out, guys. If you've liked today's episode, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. The Blair Project is all is on all major social media platforms, including Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube at The Blair Project. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and, and TikTok. Yes, we are on TikTok at Get Me Motoring. If you'd like to follow myself individually, I am on Instagram at Niall Henry and also LinkedIn 
uh, at Niall Henry as well. And if you want to follow myself, I'm on Instagram as BlairHenry underscore 97 and also on um, LinkedIn as just BlairHenry. So we look forward to having you on the next episode. So stay tuned. Take care. Until next time.